0: Uh John Lennon's words there. Life is what happens to you when you're busy planning it. There's uh, a lot of truth to that uh, that phrase. There's um, something pretty heavy, pretty controversial. Was John Lennon's best years post-Beatles? No? No? I think it was. His best years were post-Beatles. Imagine. What an album. Um let me all let me, let me, unpack that, let's, let's, uh, let's pray first. Uh, Jesus, you are the light of the world. In this hour, fill our minds with your truth, fill our hearts with your love, and finally fill our bodies with your peace. Amen. My name's Austin Macklin, I'm a teaching pastor here at Southbrook, and that line, life happens to you when you're busy making other plans, life happens to you when you're busy planning it. Uh, That's that's the premise of this series. We're in Trees and Ladders. And if you haven't been with us, it comes from author Kate Fagan's uh, recent book, What Made Maddie Run, that life, there's a presupposition that life is this ladder that is before us. And you follow the right steps and you do the right things, you'll just kind of ascend the ladder and that's how life will go. But most of us in this room would say that there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a, There's a false uh, essence to that life is not a ladder, it's a tree. It's dynamic, it's nuanced, it's complicated. That's why we've associated this with Players Box and the initiative to help students perform under pressure. Not that Players Box is this movement to make sure Johnny and Jill don't get yelled at anymore. It's to help them see reality that, oh, it's not just, you're going to lose a lot you're going to be disappointed a lot. As opposed to buffering you from all of that, let's teach you how to navigate a tree. I, uh, in the process of discovering, uh, being on a ladder, I was sitting at my son's swim practice this week, listening to, to Les Mis, um, as one does, <laughs> crying as Fantine's song came in the first act, and some of you know it, Fantine says, I dreamed a dream my life would be so much different than this hell I'm living. And some of us, we've climbed a ladder so far, and the thing about a ladder is there's only room for one person. There's only room for one goal. And you climb a ladder so far, and you might get to that point where where Fantine says, "This, this is not the dream I dreamed. I want to help you i want to do two we're going to to do some we're going to do some some good bible teaching and and wrap this series up but first i wanted to illustrate kind of uh, you follow my lead follow 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 what i've done so far in my life and discovering how you finding out how you oh i'm on a ladder okay i need to get off the ladder i need to i need to figure out how to navigate a tree because this is definitely more of a tree reality than a ladder reality there were two events in my life that there weren't the most, you know, um, they didn't take up the most time in therapy for me. <laughs> they took up time, certainly. Uh, but there were two highly formative uh, instances in my life. In the psychological terms, this is performative events. That that what we are, who we believe about ourselves, how we interact socially is, is largely, not totally, due to... Things we've experienced, people we've experienced, and the impressions they left upon us. The uh, first one in um, my freshman year in high school. I'm going to skip a lot of details because the people th- these events involve probably go to Southbrook. That would be my luck, and they're going to, you know, <laughs> bring it up to me. But um, well, the first one was my freshman year in high school. Very early on, freshman year. You know, this is like. You know, your freshman year at a public school, it's like your first day in a penitentiary. Like, you just find the toughest guy and break his nose, or do you stay, you know, (laughs) unnoticed, right? Um, Early on, freshman year, high school, I'm sitting in the front left of the class, and I'm obviously not paying attention. I'm thinking about the girl I'll walk past at the end of the period. Um, And I'm asked a question, a math question probably to, 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 to gauge if I'm actually paying attention, a very simple one, I don't remember what it was, very simple one, I didn't know the answer, I said something, I, it was clearly not the answer. And it drew scores of laughs from, from from my classmates behind me. I could just feel that that heat behind me and, and on my neck. Well, the teacher wouldn't let it go. The teacher kept bringing it up all class, it was early in the period, all class just kept bringing it up. Austin thinks half of four eighths is one third. Constantly bringing it up. Not, the rest of the, the term, really, he kept on bringing it up. I was, I was just this constant refrain. My, my intellect, my stupidity was this constant refrain that was just drawing laughter from my peers. That was my freshman year. My senior year, April of my senior year, I found myself in a similar position. And a teacher just berated me in front of the class, calling me stupid, said I would never be something, anything more than... Um, a lazy druggie. I would never. I would never. I would never accomplish anything. And it was. And it was. And in that moment, it was just. It was like my. my you know, I'm. am standing there, and and my my worst fears are like my worst. That, my freshman year, that made like that, that huge phobia. Being stupid. Being in front of my peers and being made stupid, and then it was happening again. It was just my worst nightmare coming. <laughs> and I'm sitting there, and maybe you have that moment where like, no, this isn't happening. This isn't happening. I can't. This can't be happening. It can't be. The next morning, I said, I'll tell my parents, I'm never going back to that school ever again in my life. And I didn't. For seven years, I wouldn't drive into that city. A few things happened from those events. One, well, first, the first, the first in my freshman year, it, I, it made me hurt me. I was hurt. The second time, was angry. And so three things came about it. The first one, I hated teachers. I would never be taught anything again. Never again will someone teach me things. Never again will someone tell me something. And that's caused a lot of problems in my life because I've been fired from a lot of jobs because the minute someone tells me something to do, it doesn't happen. <laughs> but two other things. I was afraid of I was afraid of being in front of people. So the things that made me do was, and, I, and, I was, and my intellect was so deeply embarrassed, so... I I made a vow, I would, would, whatever room I would ever be in the rest of my life, I was going to be the smartest person in that room. First time I was hurt, the second time I was mad. I was going to be the smartest person in every room I walked into. And when I got up in front of people, I would hold their attention. I would entertain them. I was going to, that moment, that senior year when I told my parents, I will never go back in that damn school ever again. I started climbing a ladder. For the next 10 years, (laughs) I lived under the burden, I had no matter, I didn't, because a lot of rooms, you don't know what your room you're walking into, so you better be prepared to be the smartest person in that room. And oh, by the way, I was gonna teach myself, a lot of pressure, and I had to perform. Now, I found myself in ministry somehow, and ministry's hard enough. If you don't have something to prove, if you have something to prove, it just crushes you so fast. It crushes you so fast. And when I started to discover, I was on a ladder. I I, I was in it was in February of, of um, 2020, and this weight was crushing me to to you know to 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 be in ministry and have to prove something. It's just unbearable. And. It got to a point at a small little Baptist church in Portland, Oregon, where I just had had enough. And I just, I couldn't keep climbing this ladder. I had to figure out how to navigate the complexities of the reality I was in. I understood my hurt, but I didn't know how to navigate without it. It was everything, like without it, without my ladder, I'm just a little 14-year-old feeling the heat of my peers' laughter knowing I'm stupid. I know I'm stupid. T- you know, I, but it was too much. The pain to stay the same was greater than the pain to change. And so when the pastor said, if any of you want prayer, come forward while we take worship. And so I went up and I found this, this, this young man and his name was Ben. And I said, Ben, I, I'm, I'm, I need you to pray with me. He said, that's great, what can I pray for you about? I said, I need humility. I need to be cut down." And that was a phrase that kept coming. out. I just need to be cut down. I I gotta, I can't keep climbing. I need, I gotta be cut down. I need to be cut down. And he said, Austin, that's a very serious prayer. Are you sure you want me to pray that for you? I said, yeah, I gotta have it. Because this isn't working. It's just crushing me. I've lived this way too long, it's just crushing me. He said, okay. I'll pray for you, and he prayed for me. I'm weeping. I'm weeping, he's praying for me. And he stops and he says, Austin, the Holy Spirit wants me to tell you something. Is that okay? I say, yes. Pause the story there. We've been in this series looking at the book of Philippians. And Paul spells out his resume in chapter 3. Where he was on this pharisaical ascension that is socially, politically, spiritually elite. He, I mean, he is the top of society. He's so the top of society that, that he's, he's just in every way. He's, he's smarter than everyone else. He's, he's purer than everyone else. He's more politically sound and, and accurate than everyone else. He's more educated than everyone else. And he says in chapter 3, that ladder, it's a liability to the knowledge we have in Christ. And there's this seriously significant phrase, Philippians 3.9, that sums up all of Pauline's thought. It's his most famous thought and idea, and it's so crucial to the series, to understanding and catching up to where we are today and being found in him not because i have a righteousness derived from the law that is by my own achievement my own performance my own success that came from me but because i have the righteousness of christ that comes by way of christ's faithfulness a righteousness from god that is in fact based on christ's faithfulness this is what paul is saying it's not even, even when you come to christ it's not even about Having faith in Christ, and if you try hard enough at having faith, and try hard enough at having faith, then you'll... No, 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 he's not even saying that, he's saying the faith of Christ is credited to you. I mean, that's, that's unbelievable, that's Pauline's thought. So today, where we're at is in the last portion of chapter 3, and that is uh, 17 through 21 You'll see it on the screens here. Be imitators of me. Become imitators of me, brothers and sisters, and watch carefully those who are living this way, just as you have as us, the apostles, as an example. For many live, Christians, many Christians out there, about whom I have often told you, and now with tears I tell you that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. They oppose the cross of Christ. Christians, Christians, knowing and believing Christians, oppose the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly. They exalt in their shame, and they think about earthly things. They have the idealism of this culture. Next slide. But our citizenship is in heaven. We also await a savior eagerly await, one of Paul's most used, used words, we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform these humble bodies of ours into the likeness of his glorious body by means of that power by which he is able to subject all things to himself. Whoa. So there's four things I wanted to, to give you, four ideas that are the process of, of navigating the tree from this, this passage, 17 through 21. And these four things are meaning, hope, and clarity, and peace. My journey from ladder to tree, this is what I've learned in light of this passage. So would you follow my example and learn from these things? Because they've deeply, deeply served me, the truths in this passage. Um, So let's go to the first one. Committing your life to others gives you meaning. Now the whole book of Philippians, there's not a scholar out there that wouldn't tell you that the whole book of Philippians, the theme of Philippians is Togetherness. The prefix "sum" soon is is all throughout the Bible, or all throughout the, the, the Book of Philippians, and that the the great context that he's writing this letter letter in is is have fellowship with me, togetherness with me, togetherness with each other, togetherness in Christ. Be Im, inter, entertain, imitators of me. Be co-transformed with me. That those those words, those crucial commands in that passage, have that sum prefix. Now why does this matter? It's because you cannot have a meaningful life without committing your life to others. That's what it has to be. And as I said, the thing about a ladder is there's only room for one person, and there's only room for one goal when you're on a ladder. The amount of dads I hear that, no, my work is about serving my family. No, you selling all those houses is uh, is, uh, is about that your dad wasn't proud of you. That's what it's about. You can live you can support a family under $100,000 a year. Did you know that? You can't. It's not about It's not about your family. It's about you. Committing your life to others gives you meaning. This is the, this is the entire book of Philippians. Here's why. I've been developing a thought. That's a scary thing. Um, <laughs> it's called, I, I think of it as the triad of vocation, a vocational triad. And... Um, it's, 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 so it's three things. If you want to have a meaningful vocation, write this down, this is important. This is true, too. You need three things. At least, at minimum, you need these three things. You need provision, you need happiness, and you need meaning. It, your vocation has to provide for you. <laughs> it's got to it's provide for your family. It's got to provide for your needs. It's got to make you happy. It, it, A true vocation beyond an occupation gets gets you out of bed in the morning. You, You have fulfillment in it, it makes you happy. Lastly, it has to have meaning. And to have meaning, it has to have social effect, it has to affect others. If Paul taught anything in his letters, if there's one thing he taught beyond the theological. Doctrine that we looked at, at 3-9. It is the unity of people. It is the unity of the church, the unity together of, in, through, by, with, according to, on behalf of Christ. Unity. So to navigate a tree. You need meaning. Second point. Starting with the end gives you hope. This is classic Paul, Paul what he does in this in this, this passage. Paul is always supplementing practical commands with profound theological truths the most classic example of this is in first corinthians the corinthians they write back to paul first corinthians is paul's second letter to the corinthians even though it's called the first that's just a funny little bible thing that makes no sense but that's just there and they ask him basically what do we need to do when it comes to like who we barbecue with and like is like swingers is that a thing can we do that Paul replies back with the most in-depth exposition on the status and nature of resurrection, and then their letter back, which we don't have, but I imagine it's something like, "Whoa, Paul, dude, that's intense, man." <laughs> I think the Corinthians were Californian. They 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 thought they knew everything, and they had no moral standard. <laughs> and that's true. Uh, your favorite movies Uh, uh, if you're wondering what the Latin phrase is for this and medias res is the Latin phrase for in the middle of things the best stories they start at the end and then they look back to the beginning if you look in 17 verse 21 you see be imitators of me okay Paul I got that because he'll transform your bodies into glory it's like whoa Paul that went zero to 100 real quick, that's what he was always doing. He was always looking at the present circumstances with the future promise. Always, always, always had that in mind. Always. It was never just about right now, it was always about later. Coming into right now. Your best stories do this. Uh, you film, Junkies, uh, Internal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, Momento, A Walk to Remember. These movies start at the end, and they tell the story backwards. Uh, Literature people, infinite jest, the great satire, gargantuan satire, does the same thing. Homer did this in the Iliad and in, 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 in the Odyssey. Um, it's the best way to tell a story. It's what Paul does. Um, another way to illustrate this, I think, is is really really crucial to understand. Have you ever watched an Ohio State game, and then when you get home from your dad's house, you go home and you watch it again because it's a lot. It's a lot more enjoyable the second time you watch it, because you're not so stressed out, right? It's really, really, it, when you are when you and your dad are in the same room watching the game, it's really stressful, and it's just, ugh. So you just go home and watch it again. Why is that? Because you started at the end. You watch the game. you're starting the game over, and you're watching it at the end. And, you're, and you know how it unfolds. You know where it's going. You know. Ohio State wins like once out of every 10, uh, 10 times out of every uh, 11 years against Michigan. You know that. And, and you just see, you know, and you, you can watch it in peace. You can watch it in peace. This is this, the phrase Paul has in verse 20. He says, Your commonwealth, your citizenship is in heaven. There's a little word there that's, that you don't see in the English translation. It's called uparke. It says, Tapoleatuma and Uranu parke? It's existing, present, active, and addictive. You don't need to know what that means. You just need to know that he's saying, your citizenship actively is in heaven right now. That's huge. Therefore, imitate me. Start at the end. you got to have the end in mind if you want to know where you are right now. you got to know where you're going. When you ask someone for directions before you, there was an iPhone, they would say, where are you right now? You know where you want to go. Where are you right now? you got to start at the end. How do you do that? you got to exist in front of a in the midst of the community. That's why it connects with with committing your life to others. This is very practical. You gotta have people you look to say, that guy has the kind of things I want. Part of my journey was was seeing men and women in AA who who, they don't compulsively lie everywhere they go. Like that's the thing people do, they don't lie. I need to learn how to do that. I'm starting at the end, watching them, observing them as they imitate Christ. The third point. Understanding your motivations gives you clarity. This this passage, there's a poor you can do a poor reading of this passage, which is verse seventeen, do Christian things. 18 and 19, don't do non-Christiany things, even though you're not really sure what those Christian things are, they're kind of vague, just don't do those. And if you don't do those Christian non-Christiany things, and you do Christiany things, at some point you're going to go to heaven when you die, someplace over a rainbow. Sounds great. It's not it. Paul's, there's this idea in verses 18 and 19, he says, their, their motivations are, is their stomach. Now here's this, here's this just stick with me. There's this thing called lexical unchoosing. Imagine you have a boyfriend or a girlfriend and they say in this really intimate moment, they say, I like you. That's, lexic- that's lexical unchoosing. There's, there's there's a there's a lot of depth in that sentence because of the word they didn't use Paul says koah there's three different words he could have he normally would choose there that, that have to do with morality and passion or lust he doesn't choose those words very unique to Paul he chooses Coa which is your stomach your cravings what it what drives you like what what is it that, that you the reason you do the things you do Be, beside those two uh, incidences in my in high school also, there was this little man who just chased me around for like three years, and, it, and every day he was hell-bent on just showing me that I was soft and weak. I mean, just, I think it was because I was a formerly homeschooled white preacher's kid, he just assumed I was just really, really, really soft and weak. Every day, I mean, he just found me and just made it his goal to make me feel soft and weak and not tough. You combine that with two teachers that told me I was stupid in front of my peers, do you think it's any mystery today why my hobbies include learning latin and racing marathons like do you think those things had any effect like i, I love doing those things i, I that's my that's in my stomach there's something within me there's like there's just, now there's, there's going to be this gap that is i crave to, to 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 not be to prove to myself if anything that i'm not stupid to prove to myself that that i'm tough understanding what drives you? What you're exalting in? What you're glorying in? It's going to give you clarity. When you have clarity, when you see that you're on a ladder, like I did, you understand your motivations and you're starting to look at the end and what you want to become because of the people you're around and the meaning you're finding. You see this one image, and it's the cross. Because what I really wanted, what you really want, what you really want—I'm not suggesting this. I'm telling you, this is what you want. You want peace. That's what you want. You want peace with God. This is what I want. I want a peace with myself and peace with God. The the, the, the the tree of Jesus is where you find peace with God. There there is there's three options within this series. You have ladders. You have this ambiguous tree you can climb. It's kind of Platonistic, like I don't know what's going to happen to me, but I'm climbing a tree, and it's dynamic. Or you have the tree of Jesus. This comes back to, it's not even about having faith in Jesus. It's about having his faith accredited to you. That's where you have peace. That's where you're settled. So Ben said to me, Austin, The Holy Spirit wants to tell me, tell you something. Is that okay? I said yes. He said, "Okay, He wants to tell you this." He says, "I'll let you down. I'll give you what you want, but I'm going to do it gently because you have peace with me. We're not at war. You have peace with me. If you hear His voice today and it is anything but love and majesty, that is not His voice. It is not His voice." He will let you down gently. You have peace with him. Paul found peace with Jesus. Although he persecuted, although he climbed, he found peace with him. There's the character, I'm sure you're thinking of this too, in Les Mis, named (laughs) Jovert. Jovert, he is the prosecuting attorney in the theological spectrum. He is the Satan, the accuser, who constantly follows Jean Valjean, and he says, you have not, no, no, all your, all your attempts, I think you still need to do a little bit more to justify yourself. That You are forgiven. I think you're, you're not, you need to do a little bit more. Moms, oh, you gotta do a little bit more with your kids. You just, you just gotta, you have to self-atone, you have to self-justify. Romans 16, 20 says, the God of peace will soon crush Satan underneath his feet. Therefore, having been justified by Christ's faithfulness, you have peace with God. So we're going to sing now. So you have these four practical steps, but look to the power of the cross. Look to the power of the blood. There's power in looking to that. That's all I did. The early church, they celebrated Christ Beyond anything, their hymns, what they, what they, what they say, they, they celebrated Christ's faithfulness. He was so faithful. And you just look to that. It's not about having faith in Jesus. It's having the faith of Jesus. Look to the cross. That's what we're going to do in worship. Okay? Stand and sing.
1: have a seat. We're going to do something to close out this series now that is intentional. I hope you hear the sound of ladders falling in the next few minutes as we let love redesign us. You don't have to do this. Maybe what you you maybe you don't feel like you're worthy of it and all that. You don't have to do this. But Christ invites you to do something with the rest of us right now in point one, the gathering with each other. And that is the team right now is going to pass out the symbols of the body and the blood of Christ. And these symbolize that all the gaps that you feel like you have to work to fulfill and achieve to fulfill and climb the ladder because you're not enough, he filled in all those gaps with his righteousness. Amen. All the gaps that caused you to get on that ladder, and today that ladder is gonna fall because you said, Jesus, you're enough. Your love is enough. And now I no longer live out of the cravings of my gut, but I live out of the contentment of Christ. Amen? Amen. Sometimes it'll be just as energetic, but it just won't be as self-destructive. Some of you know that uh, for a number of months I've been living with a lot of uncertainty. And one song, One song has really been my go-to, and that is an old hymn called The Deep, Deep Love of Jesus. In the words of this song, there's, it's embedded in it. Leading onward, leading homeward to thy endless rest above. And most of us know now that what Christ leads us to is a rest. And we live out of that, right? So we wanted you to sit today and take communion. Just symbolizing that today, you're resting. Let's do this together. When you're ready, as the team sings, as Abby sings, oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus, vast, unmeasured, boundless, and free. Amen? When you're ready. Father, Jesus said, if you have seen me, you've seen the Father. We know what you're like. You're a deep current of love that is surrounding this room right now. May we allow that love to come in our hearts, our souls, so that we can walk out of here living a life that reflects deep meaning, transcendent meaning. That we live a life that has clarity, embodied with hope. And now, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And everybody said, Um, here's here's a couple to do's okay one is if you have children or maybe if you don't and you want a picture of the trees and ladders series and you want a picture of why we are investing in students so much then watch Robert Zemeckis' new film called Pinocchio because it is a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant allegory of the journey that everybody goes on of trying to be real. You you know the story. This little wooden boy wants to be real so badly, but John the Fox comes. He represents temptation. And there's a scene in the film when John sees what a commodity this wooden boy can be for him, a money-making machine, he says to the innocent Pinocchio, why on earth would you want to be real when you could be famous, fill in popular, fill in successful, whatever. But I want to be real, says Pinocchio. Yes, yes, my boy, but did you know that many people say that you are not actually real until everybody knows about you? To be famous is to be real. Until then, you're just a nobody. Do you want to be a nobody? No, nobody wants to be a nobody. Everybody who's anybody wants to be a somebody. And Pinocchio falls for the trap, and he sets off to become famous. And the metaphor becomes incredibly clear is the more you try to do that, he slowly begins turning into a jackass. Isn't that amazing? It's just a brilliant allegory until his father finds him. Right? The father who searches for him finds him. The second film that I would recommend is, I think, the best film that I've watched this year. My son parses Greek participles. I watch films. That's, that's, what, uh, that's, what, that's the difference between us. Um, but the second film is, is uh, Elvis, starring Austin Butler and Tom Hanks. And I didn't watch it for months. One is because my wife does not like to watch sad stories. But I wanted to watch it because I grew up in an Elvis family. Did any of you grow up in Elvis families? And he's always been such a sympathetic figure to me. And there's this really poignant scene at the end of the film that just gripped me. Elvis is in decline, and he's a broken man. He's been climbing the ladder of what the society and Tom Parker tells him. Tom Parker is Honest John the Fox. For years, what it means to be successful. And in this scene, he's in a limo, and he's saying goodbye to Lisa Marie. Because when you're on a ladder, there's only room for one. One. And he's about to fly off somewhere, and she's about to go with her mom, Priscilla, and fly off somewhere. By this time, Priscilla and Elvis have been divorced for a few years. And they love each other, but his addictions and his ladder climbing are in the way. And Priscilla takes Lisa Marie, as Elvis is sitting alone in the limo, and she gently hands her off. I think it's to Elvis's father. And she steps into the limo. And she asks the question, how are you? And he says, I'm going to be 40 soon. 40. No one's going to remember me. I've never done anything lasting. I've never made that classic film that I could be proud of. The ladder is do, 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 It's strive always. The last words of Buddha, strive always. The tree is it is finished. Oh, come on now. But as long as you're on the ladder, there's no rest. There's no rest. And the scene fades to Elvis reflecting in a very fatigued voice do you know there's a kind of bird that doesn't have any legs so he can't land on nothing he lives his whole life in the wind and when he gets tired he just spreads his wings and sleeps on the wind And if he ever does land one time he dies and then a newscaster's voice Elvis Presley died today he was 42 years old, August 16th, 1977. Many of you, like me, I remember exactly where I was when I heard that news. Instead, this could be your life, Galatians 6:14. May I never boast in anything. May I never see anything as the substance of my being and my soul. Not albums that I've sold, companies that I've built, trophies on my shelves. May I never boast and trust in the sufficiency of anything, the Apostle Paul said, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which I have been crucified to this world's systems, in this world's systems to me. I don't know what, you know, this series has done for you, but we believe that it has brought you to the cross of Christ as your all sufficiency for who you are. And you find your rest in him this last four weeks will have been worth it. Amen? Amen. 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 Um. There was a son who came into the kitchen, and his mom was making breakfast. And he comes into the kitchen. He says, Mom, don't burn them. Don't burn them. Don't burn, mom, what are you doing? Don't burn the eggs, don't burn the eggs. And finally she snaps and she says, listen, I haven't, I've done this before. I've got this, I know what I'm doing. He goes, I know that. I just wanted you to know what it's like when I play baseball. (laughs) I just wanted to end on a lighter note and wrap this whole series in oh man we'll be better parents we'll be better people when the cross is driving us not scholarships amen yeah. that's, that's right that's right we'll see you next week we begin a new series next week paul on paul's last words to the church at ephesus the last recorded words of the apostle paul are in second timothy and we're going to take five weeks to look at the letter of 2 Timothy, and you won't want to miss it as you see the poignant words of the most famous, impactful leader in the history of the world, not named Jesus, and invite a friend to that, because these words are amazing. We have Dad's Campout coming up. We have Spooky Brook coming up. And this week, the Mind Hope podcast launches. Lori Horseman and I, every month, are recording uh, wisdom that has to do with, with, with taking care of your brain. And uh, I'm really excited about this. Lori and I recorded a couple sessions recently using the five-step neurocycle of Dr. Caroline Leaf. And you want to look at that on all your platforms where you can find podcasts. You'll find the Mind Hope Podcast. Get out of here. Go get your kids, and we'll see you next Sunday. All right. Thanks, everybody. Thank you.